0: Welcome back. It's another week of creative chit chat, and it's number fifty-three this week. I'm Ryan McLeod, and my guest is Shabaz Majid, um, who is a photographer. Um, he's got—I mean, I, I suppose I don't often—I don't really like to use the term award-winning, but I mean, for a guy who only really started taking photos about ten years ago, he's got a crazy list of accolades. Um, that he's won sort of over the years. And, I mean, an amazing claim to fame is that uh, one of his photographs was used on the first polymer note um, in Scotland, if not the UK, um, which is pretty amazing. Um, And he says himself that that there's a little bit of Dundee in in pretty much everyone's pocket in Scotland, which is actually properly amazing. But yeah, so before we get into... episode and talk about helicopters and drones and camera kit. I want to tell you a bit about a little project I'm launching today, actually. It's something I've been working on for a little while, um, since I got a dog. So yeah, you've heard me mention Fred in a couple of the episodes, Um, but sometimes it's a bit of a nightmare finding places that are dog friendly and I just thought there should be a map. There should be a place that tells everyone all the dog friendly places to eat and drink in Dundee. And so I've done it. I've, I've made a little site um, called Sit and Stay Dundee. And it's basically got all the places that you can take your dog along. Um, at the moment, it's just bars, uh, cafes, and um, places where you get something to eat. And I've really only covered the sort of city center and um ferry as well. But all the places are down there. I know you can sort of get that information on apps, but you tend to have to pay for them, and I felt that you should really get this information for free, right? So if you go to sitandstaydundee.co.uk, you can see the map, and you can check out all the places that are dog-friendly. So, yeah, I mean, not everyone might have a dog, but if you do have a friend that's got a dog, give them a shout, let them know, because I think they'll find it really helpful. Um, If you are on the site and there's something that's inaccurate or i have missed some places off, um, just drop us an email, drop me a line, and I'll update it. And hopefully I can keep the whole thing up to date as we go along. Yeah, and I mean, hopefully there will be more and more places that become dog-friendly um, and I can add them on to the map. So that, if you want to check it out, it's sitandstaydundee.co.uk for the website. Um, if you do want to email me with updates to that, you can get me on creativechitchatdundee at gmail.com. Um, and if you want to keep up to date with everything that's on the podcast, it's at CCC Dundee. On Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash CCC Dundee. Um, and that will give you all the updates and everything that's happened with the podcast. But let's jump into episode number 53. And this was with Shabazz Majeed. Um Well, I, I
1: wasn't. Always, I wanted to get into photography. Um, what actually happened was, being sort of in a web background and doing a lot of websites, photography naturally is an aspect of it. And I started to see a lot of images generally out and about. Flickr was a big thing at the time, and you're just generally having a look. So and what sort of time was this? This thing? would have been back in oh, 2006, 2007, right? so over 10 years ago. And essentially, just caught my eye and thought, oh, I wonder I wouldn't mind trying to get a hold of a camera and seeing if I can take some decent pictures for myself. I went into Jessup's, which was there on the High Street at the time, in Reform Street. Um, had a wee look around and picked the cheapest one at the time. Um, I didn't know anything about cameras. Just the first one that they had a deal on. And it, was, it was a Canon thing called... cost me about £300. Uh, and it was great, but then I didn't know how to use it. And like a typical bloke, it's what instruction manual. I'm not looking at that. And, um, you know, trying a bit, pressing the, the buttons, and you, just being disappointed with it. And I, I was aware by looking online that there was a lot of... Um, processing involved, all these kind of things. But to me, I just perhaps just expected to press a button and have these amazing images come out the back of the camera. So then I did a little bit of digging around, found there was a local photographic society, Dundee Photographic Society, um, and that they met sort of every week, September to April. And it just so happened that a few weeks later, they were they were about to start. So I just turned up on one of their nights, didn't know anyone, kind of sat in the corner to say, what is this all about? And this lady came over and spoke to me and said, oh, you're new. And uh, I went, oh, uh, yeah, almost a little bit embarrassed, almost like I'd been caught out stealing. And um, she was like, oh, welcome to the club, and this is what we do, and those kind of things. And I just felt at home. Um, The next week I joined up in their beginners class, which showed you how to use a camera. And I suppose, as they say, the rest is history. Um, I joined in that beginners class. I was actually booked on to a Dundee uh, college class for a few weeks later, but I cancelled it because I didn't see anything could beat this. Learned how to use the camera. And from the society, there was a lot of speakers, there was a lot of competitions, and you saw a lot of images from people who'd been doing it 30, 40 years. Not necessarily professionally, but they've just always had an an interest. And and I got a lot from that, just looking at the images, trying to figure out what worked, why they didn't work, and then a lot of trial and error. So I have no formal training in it. I've never been on a formal training course. It's just all self-taught, picking up from magazines at the time. That was a big thing back then. Um, Online, figuring things out, and a lot of trial and error. So... Going out there, making a lot of mistakes, or capturing them, something that I thought was really good. Looking back on it now and thinking that was awful. What was I thinking? But it was all part of the learning curve, and I think that was how it all started. I, I was made f- to feel really welcome. I think if that hadn't happened, I probably would have put it away never touched it again. Picked up a few years later and went, oh, what's this? But the bug just caught hold of me, and um, before long, started going. All these things are on our doorstep. Twenty minutes away, forty minutes away. You're in the Cairngorms. You're in the Highlands, and all this. Sort of beauty that I'd never really appreciated. You kind of just walked past it. You didn't look at the sunset and go, "Oh, a lovely sunset." And now you just, "Oh, that's a sunset. I need to get somewhere in time for it." Just didn't appreciate my surroundings, and now I'm out and about whenever I can, all over Scotland, all over the country, and, and, and indeed across the world, trying to capture these things that are just amazing views for others to see as well. Because um, you think that, I mean,
0: your your photography is landscape based. Absolutely. So what what is it about? Landscapes that that sort of inspires you to to capture them.
1: I think one is going out and seeing them for myself, and then two, capturing them for the likes of my family or for others to see. Going, this view exists. Um, especially, I love I love the reaction people look at a picture and go, "Where's that?" And you say, "Well, I'm twenty minutes outside of Dundee." Or something. And they go, "Well, I've never noticed that." I think we don't appreciate the stuff we have on our own doorstep. Um, so I think part of it is capturing the views that are easily accessible. But maybe you've just driven past it on the way to the ski centre, or on your way up to Abbey Moor, or on a work trip, and didn't really pay attention. But to say if you stopped and had a look at that, here's what you could you could see. Now, yeah, some of them are on sociable hours, early mornings, late nights, and maybe somebody wouldn't stand in the middle of night and minus ten degrees waiting for a photo. But it's to show that all this thing is all around us, and I think is what that's what attracts me about landscapes is to show people here's something I've captured that actually did exist. I visited it, captured this for everyone to see, and. The images of Scotland, anyway, when they're seen across the world, and it makes people want to come to Scotland is is a huge, huge responsibility. But at the same time, you feel really good that people are looking at your images going, I want to visit that place. And that, I think, is what excites and interests me most about it. Mm. So at what point do you think this went
0: beyond
1: a hobby? Um... It started off as a hobby and I was was just taking some pictures and uh, it was actually in Dundee Photographic Society. I entered a few competitions within the club and sort of against other Scottish clubs competing through the club. And my images were just absolutely ridiculed. They just didn't do well at all. And it was actually one of the best advices um, I've ever had in my life. But one of the chaps had been there 30 years um, at one point said, don't take this the wrong way, but your images... They're not very creative in the <clears throat> in the arty sense for what the competitions are. They're very commercial. Have you ever considered um, looking into that route? And it was like a, a tick thing that went off the back of my mind going, oh, no, I haven't. And then I started marketing them in that commercial manner, and I just took off from there. At the same time, there was this competition, um, the, national, the UK Landscape Photographer of the Year. It's also known as Take a View. So... Any picture of the UK can be entered into the categories. And I won the Network Rail category, which was with my image of Dundee, uh, the rail bridge with the train crossing over it at sunset. I won the category, right? I won some prizes, some cash, got asked into the award ceremony. And from then, the image was seen all over the world. Um, It was seen over the UK. It was in the breakfast news, um, all that kind of thing. And after that, I think that's where the sort of turning point in that respect was, where a lot of my work started to get noticed. People started to say, oh, who's this chap? And I started getting a lot more hits on my website, a lot more things. And that was probably the point where it turned things around for me. Before mm-hmm. then it was all local, a lot few people knew me locally. After that point I became a national name in a sense that people had seen my image or were then finding my website mm-hmm. at the back of it. So that um how do you see that
0: that definition now between commercial and like arty? Photography, because I'm not sure, I, where is it, where is that line between the two?
1: I think at the time, traditionally, and, and still to some extent, in the photography club, there's a lot of images, not all of them, there's a lot of them where there's a lot of creative involved, creativity involved. Essentially, they'll you'll know, put a model in a landscape and, and add some sort of creative effects, not just replace the sky, but almost make it into an illustration in some respects. And that was heavy at the time, it was, it was really deeply involved, and that's what I couldn't get hold of. So I think what their definition of commercial was essentially just pure landscapes. Um, and that's what I took it to mean. And there's a resurgence sort of in recent years going back to landscapes and then back into the creative stuff in competitions and, and clubs as well. Um, so I think that's where the sort of, I took the meaning to be as in, it's not very arty creative. I'm not changing things and adding things to the images to make it almost into a story Mm -hmm. but what you're capturing is capturing a moment and it looks really good and it's a lovely landscape but that's what the genre was at the time for the clubs and that's really what I couldn't handle due to post-processing skills and also wanting to like sort of capturing landscapes where I wasn't changing the sky or adding things in because I wasn't trying to do anything creative.
0: But then did you still
1: regard yourself as a sort of creative person? I think so yeah I think that's where it's interesting to make that sort of difference is that Although there was that type of image that involves a lot of creativity in creating it, it doesn't mean that you're a really creative person. What I like to do with my landscapes is, yes, a lot of them are from the same locations that maybe match the tripod holes thousands of people go day in, day out, but it's always trying to capture things a little bit differently. Sometimes I succeed, sometimes I don't, um, but I think, or I'd like to believe, that there's a lot of compositions that I've done that hadn't been done up until that point and are now very common, so almost leading the trend and. I don't see that as people copying or anybody taking your ideas. I think it's what it does is pushes you further. Certainly the image I took back then of the train crossing the bridge at the angle with it passing and the long exposure to capture the movement, I'd never seen done before. But if you look now since 2011, when, when that got, there's thousands of them. Some really well done, some not so, but th- what it does is it makes you go, and you try and to see something a little bit different. I often joke with Dundee, for example, I've got two bridges. So sometimes people ask me, have you got any images of Dundee that don't have the bridges in them? <laughs> And I often say, well, yeah, but the bridges are actually a key part of, of Dundee and they, the concern that they tend to have is going, well, they all look the same. So what that did to me sort of a few years ago was make me go, well, how can I capture the bridges in Dundee, but in a way that didn't make it look the same. So I started experimenting with the long exposure techniques, started doing a little bit things a little bit different and people loved them. Um, I was getting my images used all over the place um, to, to advertise Dundee or generally people were buying them for their homes because it was something different. So what I try to do generally, and what I try and tell other people and sort of my advice when I visit camera clubs and so on, is that you'll visit a lot of scenes, and it's unlikely you'll find a scene that nobody's ever been to before, but try and capture it with something that's a little bit different. Yes, capture the angles that maybe everybody else has done, but try and do something a little bit different, whether it's the same angle and composition, but you are added your own twist to it, long exposure, or a different time of, of day, or a different time of night, or golden hours. You're always bound to get something that's hopefully going to stand out if you put the effort in. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't want to, they just want the same shot, that's fine. But a lot of people do try and go, well, what can I do to capture this a little bit differently, using something in the foreground, or just getting the right time of day or night. Ten photographers can visit the same place over ten weeks and they'll all get something different because the light's always changing and so on. So. In itself, that could be enough to give you something a little bit different. So I think it's always pushing myself to try and do something that's different to make it stand out, especially with the advent of technology. Everybody's got a camera on their phone. They're getting really amazing. The Google Pixel, I've seen images coming out of that recently. And it's incredible what they can capture. So photography has become more accessible, and that's, that's a great thing. But it also means, if you're looking at it from that point of view, that competition is more severe, in a sense, and that there's a lot more people who have great images that they can potentially market, or companies try and get in touch with people over Instagram or social media and go, can we use that in return for credit? And a lot of people are happy to give in return for credit because they're like, oh wow, it's being used. And I know there's a lot of, um, that hurts professionals and those, and that, and, and that happens in many industries, but I think that's all the more reason to try and make yourself stand out to show that, well, what you're capturing even though it might be more expensive, can it be justified, can it be worthwhile? And that's the kind of mantra I've tried to follow. Try and do something a little bit different that people will want, not if they can get it from somewhere else for free, for a credit, then they will do. But if you've got something that only you can give them, they'll come back to you. So you sort of
0: mentioned, like, the tech and the changes in tech. Um, from that sort of, so you, I mean, that that first big competition win was, what, four years in, five years in? To, that, that's about right, yeah. Um, and then so how is your sort of setup? up, how is your tech, your camera, like, your gear changed over this sort of five to 10 year period.
1: Uh, well, initially the the cheap camera I got adjusted. Jessup's, I think I had that for about five years. I, I literally used that to within an inch of its life and I couldn't even sell it on. I, I, I'm pretty sure I had to dispose of it because it was in that bad a state. Um, and, and it's kind of forced me to upgrade. Then I upgraded to sort of, it was Canon gear I've always used in the beginning. Again, I wasn't picking one over the other, it was just the one I ended up with that was the cheapest. Because
0: there is that sort of like, you're either one or you're the other, Oh, I get that all the time. (laughs) I get
1: people asking me, are you a Canon or a Nikon person? So these days I say neither, I'll explain in a moment, but I used to be a Canon person. And it wasn't, I didn't like the Nikon and I liked the Canon over It was just the one that they had on the cheapest at the time or they were promoting or they wanted to sell me. And I just stuck with it. And uh, from then on, I moved on to the 5D Mark range of cameras the one and then the two and then onto the one dxs the very sort of professional level bodies that Canon did and a whole host of lenses and and so on and so forth. And about two years ago, just over two years ago, I moved exclusively to phase one, which is medium format. So if you've got like the Canon and Nikon debate, you've now got the Hasselblad and phase one debate, essentially. Um, so I'm shooting exclusively in medium format on 80 to 100 megapixels. I've been doing that for a couple of years on their high-end cameras. Purely because of the, for me, the images that I, and I shoot, aerials and or landscapes that are used for billboards, are used across the world. Resolution is everything for the people that I supply images to. Now, I know there's an ongoing debate as why well, spend that kind of money on those cameras when you can use digital enhancing or interpolation, photoshopped, but it's it's never the same thing. What sort of price range are we talking? For that uh, well, topic? I mean, a phase one kept all in list price if you were paying list, but I didn't pay a list. I hope my uh, dealer's not listening to <laughs> this, uh, my supplier. But um, list price on one of these cameras with lenses, you're talking anything from thirty-five 000 to £45,000. Um, it's an, a, a lot of money, but what I say to people, um, and again, I hope the supplier isn't listening, but you don't need a phase one or a Hasselblad. It, it, it depends on your purpose of your job. I think the sort of example I give is you'll get a lot of builders or joiners or other trade people. Some might have a £50 electric drill. Another people might have a £2,000 electric drill. It's the tool that they have for the job. It's what serves them best for what they need. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, my photography, the, the type of clients I work with and um, the type of images I'm shooting, for me, I feel I need that. and I have it. And that's what I use. And it serves me well for what I'm doing with it. That said, other people might disagree with me and say, well, I think a Sony A7R mirrorless is just 50 megapixels, it does just and absolutely they're getting really good. But for me, for the purposes of me delivering the best that I can do, that's what gives me the best quality. So I've got I've got a few lenses for them. Um I think the biggest thing for me though with gear is people get focused on the camera and the lenses. But although that's important, I always say to people, after my camera, my most valuable asset, if you will, is my tripod. Um, And the reason is 99% of all my images are shot on a tripod um, to get the absolute perfect sharpness, you know, stillness. I know a lot of people use handheld and they don't use a tripod or spend very little money on their tripod. But to me, it's without it, you wouldn't get as amazingly crisp or sharp images and sitting in the environments that you're capturing them hand-holding to a reason. Aside from that, you know, it's your tripod, your memory cards, and more importantly, it's clothing as well. Uh, In in these kind of extreme environments when you're going out, you need to be comfortable. Uh, I've got a pair of Wellingtons, I think, that cost me £300. But they're one of the best boots that I have, Wellington boots. um, And they keep me warm, they do everything. And so they're worth their weight in gold, whereas I know you can get cheaper versions and things. So a lot of the investment is not just in the technical aspects, it's other things. And then there's obviously, when you're working with those kind of file sizes, you need a powerful computer, then you need an awful lot of storage. It's the bane of my life, <laughs> the amount of storage I go through. But for the result, for the images, where I get, it, it's worth it. Um, there's all the additional cost with it, but the images I get out of them, um, and for what I can deliver to to my clients, it's to me, it's if, if it broke tomorrow, I would replace it with the exact same thing again. Hmm.
0: So I mean, we're talking about this, um, and it, I mean, it, it sounds like this is your life, like this is everything, this is all you do, but y- you've got a, a job as well.
1: That's right. Actually, a lot of people are surprised to hear that. Um, I actually work as a web developer, a web development manager now at the University of Dundee, and I've been there, um, well, the university since 2000, and in the role in the web team since 2008, so an awful long time. Uh, and people are very surprised to hear that. One, they go, where do you find the time? And then two, they're just like, well, why haven't you given it up? And I have the same answer to everyone. And I don't just say this because they might be listening in or anything. It's, I genuinely love my job. Um, at the university I've always wanted to do web I've always done IT and making websites doing that I I love doing it and I work with some great people the universe is a fantastic place to work and you know they've asked me the same question is like oh are you ever going to do this full time and and, and, but I have no interest Um, I really genuinely love the two jobs that I have Um, I don't see the photography as a job Um, it's more of a I get to go out and do cool things that most people would give their left arm for uh, and I get all these opportunities and I'm in the fortunate position I have two jobs that I love where you know some people struggle to find the one job that they, they either like or they have a passion for and I think that's very, very important. If I did photography full time um my, my worry I suppose is that I wouldn't enjoy it as much and that I maybe start doing or branching into other things or I, I don't know I think that's my biggest concern is that I wouldn't enjoy it as much whereas I've got the balance of I do my IT side and then I've got my more creative side I've got the chance to do all that and it balances everything nicely So time wise
0: how does that balance work for
1: you? Well like I say, 9 to 5 at my job but when I got my holidays or my evenings and weekends I'm out doing photography uh, not at this time of year when the sun sets um, while you are still at the office so you just have to look in all and go ah oh, I wish I was out there but um, evenings I'm out as many evenings as I can um, and then when I have my annual leave or my holidays I'm effectively out taking pictures but again I don't see it as working during my holidays it's it's just something that I really, really genuinely enjoy. Um, and I just, I have such a blast. Um, I, I, I just really love it. Um, nothing at the moment, there's no plans to change otherwise. Um, I'm going to carry on doing what I enjoy doing and um, hope people still enjoy seeing my stuff, you know. Yeah.
0: Um, I, I've seen a few photos of you sort of hanging out the side of, of helicopters as well, which I, <laughs> it's not, yeah, it's not everyone's sort of... Uh, Weekend pastime, if you like. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. But how Um, does how does that how does that work? And also, I'm sort of interested how your your whole process works. So, you maybe like say, okay, I want to shoot a certain area, and then from that idea or that thought going through to actually getting that shoot and potentially hanging outside of a helicopter to get that. How how does that creative process? It's
1: actually very very involved, Uh, as you can imagine. There's a lot of safety. There's a lot of planning that goes into it. So, I mean, to take a, a recent one I did over sort of Edinburgh, Dundee, and, and sort of surrounding areas, what I wanted to capture was the new bridges, the, the Forth bridges, um, it was a week before they were opening, so that was the sort of plan, so what we do, or what I would normally do, is sit down, Google Maps usually, or a few other mapping tools, and figure out the route I would like to take because of, you know, what angle I want to capture, where the sun's going to be, what time of day it is, if the sun's going to be behind me, I need it to light up the structure, etc., cetera, et cetera. Kind of plan that out in a rough way, then figure out flight times. So, I mean, if I want to capture this spot, uh, take off from Cumbernauld or Edinburgh or wherever it is, we want to get to X location, circle around, go to somewhere else, all that, what flight time I'm looking at. And then I'll talk to the helicopter company, and the ones I use. will then sort of look into planning, right, here's what I'm thinking. They'll look at it and go, right, well, we might have these issues because we'll be flying over. X area, we'll need permissions, not a problem. We start sorting all those things out. Um, how many people are going, sometimes I'll have a social media guy or, you know, I'm charging the helicopter, so I'll have my friend, who <laughs> loves to come along. Um, so it, depending on that, how much fuel we're going to need, what our flight time will be, what do we need to organise, if there's going to be a landing opportunity. So in the past, we've landed at spots. Um, for example, we were at, um, doing the Highlands one last year. So we landed on one of the Monroe's once it was safe to do so, obviously, and we um, did some filming while we were waiting and had a a lunch or sandwich whatever before we got back in again. So all that's kind of planned. Um, Of course things happen that you can't always plan Uh, on that specific occasion. We were supposed to land at the Glencoe Ski Centre so they'd roped off an area for us and we were supposed to land have our filming session but when we got to the area there was a lot of gliders in the area and as you can imagine gliders and helicopters don't mix. So the pilot tried to do his precautionary you know I'm holding off so I can give you weight and they just wouldn't move, um, which is fine. You know, I suppose they're right. So we had to make an alternative plan. So we ended up landing on top of this uh, Monroe instead once it was safe to do so. But it just goes to show things things can change. So for example, that, back to the Queensferry one, where we wanted to capture the bridges and so on. It was going to be dependent on where the sun was going to be coming that time of day. The sun, there was some lovely light for about half the journey and then it faded really quickly, so we had to kind of change plans. But what we did in that particular trip, we came all the way up to Dundee. We got some pictures of this Lesser Gardens, the waterfront um, from above and then the journey up to Dundee, back down over St Andrews and then back around Edinburgh. And on that occasion, there was one particular image I wanted to capture because it was the fringe. I thought, well, one image I'd love to do is to capture sort of a view looking up the Royal Mile leading up to Edinburgh Castle with the tattoo going on, and the Edinburgh Military Tattoo, and, and I capture that from the air. So obviously there's a lot of things to come together and, and, and you've got to get the timing right and so on. But we had that planned. We knew when the, 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 that particular day if we went up, if the t- weather was fine, um, the tattoo would be going on. We got permission to fly low over the castle, which was really exciting because, um, as you can imagine, you go and an Asian guy looking for permission to fly over Edinburgh Castle. Um, hanging out of a helicopter. <laughs> Some people might raise questions, but it's in, it's the times that we live in, so you've got to go through the process, you know, get, go through the security, let people know what you're aware of. But that was great to get Cleavence to fly over that. So I actually got this great shot, and, and several shots, in fact, of the Royal Military Two going on. It's, it's in the background, People were enjoying it from the crowds and we were circling over it in, in a helicopter. And the images came out amazing. I absolutely love them. And um, with the equipment I'm using, they're extremely detailed. So you can zoom in and see all that information. And I've never seen that image done before. I haven't. I knew it was going to be unique if I managed to capture it, and we did. And I was extremely pleased. More so that we got permission to sort of fly down a lot lower. Um, we couldn't go too low because. I can imagine all these people wanting their money back for having the show ruined by a low-flying <laughs> helicopter with all that noise. But the, the show itself is quite loud anyway, so we weren't we weren't worried. But we flew in round over it a few times. The only thing we did have to worry about was the fireworks that go off um, at the end of a Saturday. We didn't want to be flying over it when the fireworks go off. So we were timing that clearly uh, as well. So there's a, there's a lot of planning that goes into these kind of things and at the moment I'm giving away a chance to join for someone to join me. Uh, in fact, on a on a flight. I, I had a giveaway a few years ago where I was in a light aircraft, somebody joined me in aircraft, and it was one of the most popular giveaways I'd done. I, I had people emailing me, offering me money uh, to try and get the chance. And this time. Maybe I, you should just start that as a business. Well, just, perhaps, yeah. you know, maybe there's a bit of <laughs> income in each in, in business there. And um, so I thought, well, you know what? Let, it'd be good to do that again from the, from the helicopter. Um, and so I've done this. So what we've done is uh, I've got a giveaway going at the moment where in return for a £5 donation for the Dundee Food Bank, you're entered into the chance to join me. So I thought rather than for just shares and likes on social media, let's do something good. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Dundee Food Bank is, is a worthy cause as any. And we started about a week ago. We've already had about £400, I think, um, which you know it's still good. It's still running till the end of February. And we're going to hope a lot more people get interested in that, for in return for £5 you can chance to hang out a helicopter with me and take some pictures, and we'll plan all of that and so on and so forth. Yeah, if nothing else, you give into to a great cause. Exactly, that's what I'm hoping that people say, you know, for the, for the price of two cups of coffee or a coffee and a cake, you're helping but you've got this chance to win this once in a lifetime type prize. The other question people ask is, is it, is it entirely safe <laughs> if, you know you don't fall out? <laughs> and it's not obvious from the photographs um, that you've seen on social media that you referred to, but I'm harnessed in, I mean I've got a full body harness in, uh, on, and I'm, I'm harnessed into the helicopter. The only downside of being harnessed into a helicopter is if it's going down, I'm going down with it. Um, <laughs> but that's what I say, that there's a lot of safety precautions. You can't take any unnecessary risks. Uh, the pilot won't allow you anyway. You're always in constant communication. You're going, well, here's what I want to do. And that's why the pilots that I work with, they've experienced in this. They kind of know what you're looking for and you know planning ahead.
0: So you're sort of directing where you want to go at the same time as taking the shots. Absolutely.
1: So although we've planned the route in, in conjunction with the pilot, and, and so they know which route we're going, what we'll tend to do is go on that route. Well, I need to be facing back the way, or can you hover here, or can you turn around and maybe do three or four circles of a place to get the angle that I need? So I'm I'm constantly sort of speaking to the pilot saying, here's what we want to do, Um, or going up or down in height, depending on the clearance that we've got. So there's a lot going on um, mid-air, and you're constantly aware of where the sun is, what the shot is, what your camera settings are, where you're going to be. um, And obviously the pilot's going through a thousand things that they'll be going through, there's no other things, you know, it's safe what they're doing, so it's 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 quite a convoluted process. But I think for the images you get out of it, it's extremely worthwhile. Mm-hmm. I, on that same topic, I don't, I'm not a, like a rooftop or type if you get me on top tall building, I'll, I'll enjoy the view, but I wouldn't be looking over the edge or hanging over with one arm or anything like that. It's, but for some reason, in an aircraft, uh, an helicopter, I, I feel completely completely at home i don't know what it is um i've done it so many times i'm just so relaxed and even from my first flight i don't think i've ever been nervous mm. whereas i don't generally like flying like you know going on holiday stuck in a, a steel tube and crunched up against somebody else and but when i'm in the helicopter even with the doors off it feels it sounds mad but it just feels okay mm. um whereas i've had people with me who are just for 20 minutes they're just absolute stone face silence they're just you know, petrified, petrified. Um, especially with the fact that there's nothing there to stop them. Um, that's the biggest thing to get they, they, they yeah. have to get used to um, for those of that kind of do But they're always promised. and It's just knowing that you're you're safe as long as you don't do anything you're not supposed to be doing. You've been debriefing, You, know, you will be relatively safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 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 it is really exciting, and I love every moment of it.
0: So recently, we've seen a, a big. Um, a sort of change in technology and the development of drones Um, and obviously that's had a big impact on on photography and especially sort of the the aerial type stuff that you do as well so I mean I saw you've done a bit of footage sort of at Glencoe but have you done quite a lot with drones and how much has that sort of changed how you
1: work? Um, I have a drone but I don't do anything commercially with the drone Okay. and the reason is I I, I love the drone in terms of it's a hobby it's a great thing to find you can get some great thing and it kind of reconnects me in a sense to the view I would have from a helicopter if I was in there, but obviously my pockets aren't even enough to have a helicopter every weekend. <laughs> but I can see the purposes of drone photography and, and even the, the aerial stuff. I think it's got a great use for it. Absolutely practical, but I don't think it's ready to replace aerial photography as such. I mean, there's limitations on the cameras on them. You can get really good quality cameras. Some of them have GoPros. They are getting better. And at some point in the future, I have no doubt that there'll be... Some at some point there will almost be like a curve that, you know or a or a corner you can't go back from, but at the moment um, with drones they're they're great fun they're a hobby and for for the state things for, for the kind of things like other people are using them for, they're absolutely invaluable because it makes no sense to hire a helicopter to photograph your house you're trying to put in the market it, it, it would be madness, but because of the limitations of what they can do and even in terms of of legalities for example you can know, only fly drones up to four hundred feet and, you know within line of sight. Um, not over anything you have no control over. Over people, there's all kinds of limitations, and rightly, rightfully so, because of all the sort of near misses and general things you hear about it. And although there's limitations in aerial photography from helicopters, because you've got a, a pilot who's trained, you've gone through clearances, you've you've gone, you're requesting permission for everything that you do and almost having it signed off by someone. There's certain things that you can do that you wouldn't be able to do with with drones. Now I know, for example, drones can fly up to 400 feet. We can fly as low as 500 feet and above, so th- there should be no issue. So we can get to higher altitudes that you couldn't with a drone. Well, not legally, and um, with resolution cameras that you know that you just can't get um, on on your consumer drones. Now I know there's aerial drones that you can get. You can stick Phase One's and Hasselblad's and medium formats on them, but they're not they're not practical for most people. At some point, I have no doubt that drones might even take over. Um, I, I don't know. I think at the moment, there's, there's not a chance um, from that point of view. So I don't think aerial photographers need to worry for those that provide that type of service. Mm. But I can absolutely see, see the need for them and, and what kind of gap and in the market they do fill. And, and for me, certainly, I do the other stuff in high quality. I just use it as a background for my YouTube videos, catching aerial video footage for things like that. But... Um, I don't think the commercial side of it for drones its something I'd be of interest in at any point at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so
0: I want to talk a little bit about a couple of the projects you've been involved in. Um, one in particular, it's sort of, it's not every photographer that can say their uh, photos in like millions of people's pockets.
1: <laughs> yes, uh, absolutely. So um, this is obviously the, the £5 note um, that my image is on. So, a few years ago, I think it was 2015, if I remember correctly, in, um, well, it was when the referendum was. About four weeks before the the actual independence referendum, um, I got a notification through from one of my agents uh, that um, one of my images, um, which was of the, the fourth bridge, um, was licensed for UK currency. Now, I've never seen that before. Uh, and I went to anyone, is this right? Is this surely some sort of mistake? And they went, no, somebody's requesting to license it for... A UK bank note. and even they were kind of like "Oh, well, okay yeah this is unusual uh, so it was kind of figuring out pricing um, and at the same time it was just more this, this is this real is this is this aligned up um, I didn't know who the client was you don't normally find out who the client is or anything. it was just the fact that they wanted to license this image for 10 million notes for 10 years and I'm sitting there thinking going uh, okay um, at the back of my mind, I'm suddenly going, I would give it for free. I mean, who can who can say <laughs> they've got an image in a bank? You know? But, you know, obviously, at the same time, uh, being practical. So I didn't hear anything more. But the, all these thoughts in the back of my mind started going, oh, this, this four weeks till the independence reference. Does this mean something? Is this is this some sort of master plan for a Scottish currency? Who knows? But, you know, I, I didn't really know. Never heard anything more of it. Um, And uh, sort of fast forward six months. And one day I just picked up the paper of the local courier and there was this the picture of the I think, the CEO or the head of Clydesdale Bank launching the new note in front of the Ford Bridge, holding up size version of this note. And as soon as I saw that picture, I saw my picture on there and I went, wow, uh, right, OK, this is huge. It was the first polymer note in the UK. I know there's a whole bunch of debate about, well, England, the English notes are treated as the first notes in the UK by the English press and so on. But... The first UK polymer note by Clydesdale the Fiverr, and they had the image on it. So once it became public knowledge, I got in touch with them and said, Look, uh, that's that's my image, obviously you know that, you license it from me. Uh, but now that it's all public, can I get uh, be cheeky and get a copy of that large banknote? Uh, that'd, be, that'd be great to have. And they were absolutely brilliant. They went, yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. What, you can have the one we've got, um, or come into the branch in, in Clydesdale head office in, in Glasgow. And Oh no, I wouldn't mind getting a new one. Anyway, I want to tell you what. So what they did was put me in touch with Delarue, who printed me the money, um, as they do for others as well, and said, look, give this chap what he needs and, and authorised it. So they gave me a large version of the banknote and, and sent it to me, and it was, it was just amazing. Uh, and then I went a bit cheeky again. I went, can I get another one, but two separate boards this time so they're not back-to-back so I can get them framed? And and, and so and they went, yeah, all right, what, what? <laughs> on you go. So they gave me that as well. And then you know, I was showing it to my daughter, um, who was, uh, I think, three at the time. And I uh, said, well, you know, look, Daddy's picture's on a banknote. And the first thing she said to me was, well, can we buy toys with that? <laughs> um, and I'm sitting there going, look at this, this is historic, this is this, you know. But she was still a little young, and I think um, something, especially for when they're older, I think it'll be it'll be one of those great stories to talk about. Um, as you said, there's not very many photographers that, that I know of, I'm kind of trying to look into this, that have an image on a, on a banknote. There's usually illustrations of some kind, but this was an image. I'm not aware of the background for the other two images, um, certainly the Clydesdale, um, the contact that I have there, was saying that they referred to me as the official photographer of their banknote. for <laughs> that. It sound, sounded kind of awesome. And, and asked me for a quote when they put in for an award for some kind for that particular note. And it's it's just exciting because when you actually realise and you get it in change um, from the local shops and things, you look at it and you go, oh, that's, that's my image. But most people probably don't know that. I mean, it's on my website. And, but, yeah, there's a little bit of Dundee, I suppose, on every... And, and practically, you talk about it at some point on, on every polymer banknote and given that they're polymer they'll be around for a lot longer as well I, mm-hmm. I, I suppose so yeah i i after that point i've had a lot of photographer friends and things have been going Ah, oh, you know you you jammy get and uh, <laughs> i'd give my left down for this and i and i said that to clausia as well when i would have given it to you for free i don't mind saying that because how many people can say they've got an image on a banknote and they were like well don't be daft we would have paid for it and uh, everybody does ask i did ask if i could get Money per note, but that was a no-no. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking ahead there, but no, apparently not. They were not interested in, in discussing that. But um, it's 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 great. I my dad was extremely proud. I mean, my dad emigrated from Pakistan in the seventies, um, back when they were trying to get workers over the jute mills and get a lot of immigration. Uh, and my dad came over from there, and he said something which I suppose a lot of people have, have commented how it's quite um, it's quite sort of emotional, or it's, it's interesting that my, my dad said to me that, he, you know, a little bit of a tear in his eyes, I never thought I'd see the day that our adopted country, that my son would have an image on the back of the currency of the place we call home in our country. And, and you know, I was kind of like, oh, well, Dad, when you put it like that, you know, um, I, I suppose it's a nice, it's, it is a nice thought. This is the place we call home. It's, it's everything to us. And to be sort of part of history of part of that now, I can see from my dad's point of view anyway, I mean, you know, how much that means to him. I, I'm i Scottish, I was born here, everything I know is this, but I suppose for him having left everything and come here and set up home and, and been there it, it was quite intriguing from that point of view, so it did have further sort of meaning um, now, and my dad's extremely proud, he is generally, but he's always telling everyone when he sees them and things are like, well, that's, that's my son's picture. And the first thing everybody says is, yeah, you're having a laugh. <laughs> and he goes, no, Google it. Um, and then when they do, and then he comes home most nights and he's like, oh, such and such. He wants his note signed. Could you, it's a, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's illegal, but, um, and it probably devalues it. But yeah, there's, there's so many people that he's he's just so proud and I can understand that. And I, I get people asking me to sign their notes. Um, I and mean, please don't hold me responsible if you then can't exchange it for your, you know, your meal or your food at a restaurant. But it's, it's something that you know. If I never sell another photograph, never win another award, never do anything else, that I think is going to be pretty hard to top.
0: Because hmm. I mean, commercially, um, you'd you obviously sell sell prints, you, you license yep. images, um, but then you decided to do a book. Why? Why did you do that then?
1: What actually happened was um Amberly Publishing, uh, the publishers, apro- approached me a few years ago with a view to doing a book, um, and the initial discussions were about a Dundee book. I sort of done themed books, obviously my work and things. Eventually, discussions sort of involved into a let's make it a Scotland and photographs book because they were doing a photo in photograph series, and they'd done a Yorkshire one and a few other areas, but they wanted to do initially local ones. But then they thought, well, let's go all into a whole Scotland one. And we've seen your work and, and do this, man. And I, I was absolutely blown away to be asked. Um, I always knew at some point I'd want to do it, but I always thought it'd be something of my own back. I'd have to go around looking to have somebody approach me was was fantastic. So it was a whole sort of slog of getting a lot of images together, getting the book together done, um, a whole sort of background into that. So I started putting images together. They went through the design. They went, there was quite a lot of toing and froing, and I think the whole thing must have taken was well over a year, anyway. And and then I thought, well, if I'm doing this, I wouldn't mind getting the foreword by something that you know that would be quite meaningful, um, and I suppose a celebrity as well at the same time. And I thought, well. Brian Cox, I got the chance to photograph him a while ago when he was the rector of our university and he's obviously quite a famous Dundee uh, personality. Uh, and how awesome would it be if he wrote the forward. I'm still trying to figure out how to get in touch and there was a lot of emails back and forward and he sent him the sort of example of the book and the draft and he absolutely loved it and wanted to be on board. But then with his busy schedule, it was months and months and we kind of had a deadline and, you know, he was struggling to meet it. Um and then eventually, you know, it all managed to come through in the end and you know, I've now got a book uh near to my name with pictures of Scotland that uh, are all sale over Scotland and I've shipped them myself what, as far as Singapore. Um and it, I'm just incredibly bowled over by the result. I mean I, you always worry, uh, one is gonna sell any. Uh, but the publishers you know has been selling really well. And they want me to do another one, so it's like, well, wow, uh, must have done really well. um, I'm still waiting on my royalties but that's, that's a different <laughs> matter but um it's it's great it's it's absolutely fantastic and um just a few weeks ago, we were at the Falkirk wheel um we were, we were going there to to do some photographs and um shortly after we went to Fork, we were just sitting in the visitor cafe having having sort of food and uh, one of my friends called me over going Shabazz come over here and he had his camera up and started filming me I wonder what was going on here?" Yeah. so I walked over and he just went looking the on the shelf of where they were selling gifts and all this kind of stuff and there was my book um, on sale and I was you know I suppose in one sense you shouldn't be surprised your book's on sale in Scotland at the same time you didn't expect it to be in every place and every time I see it outside of bookstores in the traditional sense it's always exciting and there it was on sale and um. The, the staff came and went, oh, is that your book? And they went, yeah, and they had a quick check inside to see the picture and go, yeah, it's you, it's not just a random person. Uh, and then I started signing them for them because they they've went they been selling really well, but now have got signed copies. That'll be And it, it's it's absolutely great because they were then telling me the feedback they've been getting. They're getting visitors from over and who are loving this book and going, um, oh, it's going to make a great gift. And, and that, that was kind of the thinking behind it, was to make a book that was small and compact enough, but you can still enjoy the images, that people would then hopefully send around the world. Um, and go, look at this, this is where I was, or this is where I'm going to go and hopefully encourage others Um, They've been in the States, the books are all over and um, I'm extremely pleased Um, I think the main thing for me with that book is the fact that so many people are seeing it and hopefully being encouraged to come and visit Scotland, and not just the Highlands, not just Edinburgh, but you know, other places that you know that they wouldn't necessarily visit, including Dundee with the V&A and just the other things that we have to offer. So I'm hoping they'll look in the book and see those type of images and see. them am going well, you know what, that's going to be on my bucket list. And I, I think, you know, it's very difficult to try and sell something in a way that sells itself. I know there's all these kind of stories where people are going to well, sell this pencil and then if you can do that, you're a good salesman. But it's hard to do with a single image um if you can take a great image of somewhere and somebody looks and go i want to go there to see that place or indeed other photographers to say i want to go then capture that location for myself almost like a bucket list thing it's very difficult to do but what it's doing is it's encouraging people to come over see what you have to offer and and that is difficult to do but i think that's what makes me most proud is that people see the images and go i came there um i visited that place and, and or the, the sort of emotional connection i get a lot of people telling me they've seen the image and it was so um, evocative or it reminded them of a loved one or a memory of a childhood that they spent there with their late father or you know, their partner and things. And, and that's another thing that's difficult to do with the sort of medium of photography is, is to try and evoke emotional response. People will look at an image and go, yeah, that's great, move on, you know, swipe to the side next. But it's very difficult to get somebody to look at an image and get them to keep looking at it again and then maybe look at it again another time and go, you know, I've seen that image before I'm just going to discredit it or, you know, I'm not interested. Oh, look at that image. As, I'm always seeing something else or it's telling me something else and I just love looking at that image. Um, and that that that's a, that's a great feeling. Um, and especially because I think it's so difficult to do in photography with paintings or, or other mediums or design. I think there's maybe more better way of doing it or an easier way of doing it. i have an easier task in some respects. So I think that's what I love about the photography aspect and that that my work is seen in that way that people can see you more than just... It's just a lovely picture. Hmm.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, you, you've won quite a list of awards uh, sort of over the years. Um, but, I mean, I often feel that awards can be a bit of a double-edged sword. Um, people use them as badges. Um, not necessarily in the right way. But, I mean, what's your feeling about, about awards in general?
1: Well, I mean, awards in general, I mean, I don't go seeking them out in the sense that, you know, I've got to enter 10, or 10 f- competitions this year. I'm very disorganised and that usually I get a message popping up on Facebook or an email going entry closing in 12 hours or 2 hours and I'm suddenly going oh uh, you know what I'll maybe have a gander it's usually a last minute and off the cuff type and um, the ones I've done quite well and I've done one wells in um, for example there was the Sony World Photography Awards um, I got a top image in that um, and then there is the top 101 landscape photographer of the year I think it was last year or the year before and I got two images in that so they were sort of build in in a sense in that of the best 101 images and I had two in there so I was quite pleased with that Uh, and the other big ones I suppose to date are the ones that that, that take a few of one a few years ago and have been in the book for a few years after that but there was one in Dubai which was the HIPAA the sort of um, build is the most or the largest photography competition in the world with I think it's 1.2 million in prizes or something. Um, and there was, if I get the numbers right, 38,000 photographers with 60,000 images or 100,000 images, or it was some insane number of, of entries, and I got to the finals of that um, uh, in the book. And uh, most of these, to be honest, I think there's the odd one, there's the Scottish landscape photographer on just now, I, I kind of actively enter just more because it's local, and um, it's interesting to see the type of work that's in there. I think the biggest thing that people get caught up in, and I know a lot of photographers that do this, where to them, it's all about entering every kind of competition that they can and almost because what they're hoping for is some sort of, sort of stamp of approval or recognition through that means. Um, it's great to get it. Don't get me wrong. Every time I've had these kinds of successes, has been absolutely great news, but there's been many times I haven't had anything um, and there'll be a lot of photographers that I know that I feel take better images than me or do some really great work and have never been acknowledged or don't do as well. And I think the key thing to remember is that the awards aren't be all and end all, um, if I didn't win any awards, then yes, perhaps I wouldn't have got opportunities I didn't already get, but I don't think it would have made me any less of a photographer um, than anyone else. Um, it just depends what you're trying to gain from it. Um, for the people looking for a stamp of approval, I can see where they're coming from because they're just going, well, that would tell me that I'm a good photographer because we always, we're overly critical of our own work. You're less sort of appreciative of it. But what I always say to those people is, like, well, people are buying your images or people are, are liking them, then surely that should be a statement because you might have a critic who doesn't like it, but it doesn't mean they have to like it. Um, it just has to be the person who's going to give you the cheque or the money at the end of the day, I suppose. Um, so people get stuck on it. I think they're good in the sense it's, it's interesting to put images in there to see what kind of feedback you get. But a lot of these images don't really give you any feedback. You're either in the fine or you're not. So you don't get anything constructive. That's where sort of the photographic clubs kind of come in because... When you put an image into a competition there, you do generally get feedback on every image. You normally get, well, here's what works, what doesn't work. And that's what I think helps you. Just knowing you're in the final or not doesn't really help or that you got shortlisted, you don't really get any feedback on it. But like you said, like the opportunities I've had, if you have a success in them, it can transform basically the, the sort of level or awareness of your work internationally, depending on the competition. And yeah, that's... that's can't put money I can't put a price on that. It's difficult to, to spend money and do that these days. So yes, absolutely can do that, but it doesn't mean it will. Um, so I think it d- just depends on what it is. Absolutely enter them and, and try see what you can get out of them. But if you don't do well or you get knocked back, it doesn't mean that your images are not worthy and you should give it up and things. It can be quite heartbreaking and quite sort of a personal thing, like going, oh, my images are better than that person they got in and I didn't. But I, th- I think it's in conjunction. I get, believe it or not, I still get comments all the time on people on some of my images on and, and, and social media saying, um, you know, someone with no eyes and, you know, punched in the face could take a better picture than what you've done. And, you know, that, that's I, I don't take anything by it because you can't please everyone yeah. all the time. And every, everything's subjective. I don't like all images I see. I don't expect everybody to like all of mine. But if I was to take that comment and decide I'm going to give up photography, then I think that's a loss to photography and to the individual. So I, I say that to people and people are actually quite surprised going, what, you, you get that kind of comment? I went, well, this image has had this comment and they're like, what? How can they say that? And I went, well, you know, it just goes to show that if, if some people look up to me, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily, you know, I'm, I'm quite honoured that they do, but people look up to me and go, well, everything that you produce is amazing. I don't, I don't think that it is. I try, but people like it great. But at the same time, there's, there's critics of my work. So if people are looking up to me as someone to aspire to, and know that I get criticised, then hopefully that makes them feel well, you don't need to feel as bad. Everybody gets criticised. Everyone it doesn't matter who you are. There will be someone out there who doesn't like your work. Now they might not like it. They might just want to bring you down, or they're just a troll or whatever. Yeah, it's
0: justified or not, they can still have their say. That's
1: the absolutely, and, and that, that's, that's 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 a good thing. I just always, as I say, to people if they really want to engage me, and I go, well, oh, you know, it'd be great to see your stuff, and you know, let's see what I can learn, and. And uh, you know they usually don't have anything to justify that, but that's fine. Um, people will always speak their mind. You can't let it bother you. You've Got to let it drop by. Um, you know, I could I could be a child and say, "Why well, don't see your image on the back of a fiver?" But uh, you know, I, I think I don't lose or I gain anything by somebody having that opinion. Um, yeah. I still have the clients I have. I'm still doing well. I'm still enjoying what I do. And I, I've always said, even if I didn't make any more clients or didn't do any commercial, I give it up tomorrow as long as I was still taking images for myself I think I'd be really happy I don't really care if you you didn't make money that's always nice touch but I just enjoy it so much that I would like to think I'd carry on doing it regardless of if I faded into the abyss and nobody heard of me again and I'm just clutching a fiver on my deathbed (laughs) going this was my claim to fame um so just before we finish up um where's on your sort of
0: bucket list or, or places that you want to go and shoot
1: I've got a lot of places. Um, One of them was the Faroe Islands, but we did that back in September. Um, I had a film crew, I had a team of seven following me around. It was absolutely fantastic. The the video, when it came out, we did a teaser video, we're still working on the full version. Looks like I'm one man band travelling across this, you know, amazing landscape when there's like 12 people behind me uh, all all preparing and things. But um, Faroes have done that. I want to get to the Dolomites. Iceland, I'd love to go. The reason I'm put off at the moment is the sheer number of people there. Um, You've seen pictures of people lining up to take shots and that doesn't appeal to me in the slightest. I'd love to visit Iceland, don't get me wrong, but I think it's too much of a, a, a tourist sort of hot spot at the moment so I'm trying to avoid that. So there's Northern, um, sorry, Lapland, Norway, uh, Dolomites, all these kind of things. We've got planned we've got plan in action. I'm just trying to find the time as you can imagine having a day job, family, two young children, two young girls, six and three, uh, just not enough hours in the world to do all the things I'd love to do. I've got such big plans Um, It's just trying to find the time to do them, but not in a, I'm unhappy with having a full-time job and, you know, because I could always leave, I know that, it's just, I'm happy with where I am and, and, you know, it's all these things I'd love to do when I get the opportunity, but they don't take priority over family or over other things and it'll it'll be a good chance to do them when I get the chance, absolutely.
0: Great. Um, So if anyone does want to come and find you online, uh, where do they do that?
1: You can find my website at framefocuscapture.co.uk or Google Frame Focus Capture. Uh, I'm on Facebook, YouTube. Um, YouTube's fairly new. I've been putting up videos um, some tongue, tongue-in-cheek some uh, you know just trying to give some useful information about some of the locations i visit um so people are you know, i've had some good response on that i think um, for, for a small number of videos quite a good number of views on that and things so i'm trying to do things yeah you can find me on those kind of social media channels or, or on the most and, and there's my website of course where most people will will find me which has a selection of my work and, and so on and so forth okay thank you very much thank you
0: So thank you to Shabazz uh, for coming in and taking the time on his lunch break to come and do the podcast Um, Apologies if you can hear uh, a bit of whining in the background in this one Um, Fred ended up being in the next room and wasn't really too pleased about it So that's what the noise is, sorry about that But yeah, um, another fascinating episode and I've got another couple lined up um, For the next few weeks Um, Well I say few weeks, I've got two weeks until the break uh, next week, I'm going to have Haley Scanlon, which is a big one, another good one. And uh, the week after that, I've got a bit of a surprise episode coming out. So um, that one will be the 21st of February. Um, and then the podcast will be taking a little break. And yeah, I've, I've done a whole load of recordings. We've got some really great guests lined up, but I'll maybe um, tell you about that just before the break. So that's it for this week. Um, do go and check out sitandstaydundee.co.uk and you can find out, all the dog friendly places in sort of city centre um, and the cover Broughty Ferry as well and go and tell your mates with dogs because I'm sure they'll find it really helpful. Uh, and yeah, I would really appreciate a little tweet or a share about that as well just to, to help spread the word. Again, podcast at CCC Dundee and um, Twitter and Instagram and facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash CCC Dundee if you're new or if you don't already follow then that's the best place to do it. Um, but that's it for this week. I will see you next week with Hayley Scanlon. Bye.